Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. One of the biggest challenges for uh, consumer products companies, strangely enough, is building relationships with consumers in a direct sense, because you're often going through retailers. How have you found that digital and technology is changing some of that equation? At Mars in particular, we are a products and services company, and we do happen to have some direct relationships to consumers with respect to our vet hospitals, our M&M retail stores, some of our direct-to-consumer brands, and so on. What we did not have until recently was a systematic way of first driving intimacy with the consumer and understanding their unstated, unmet needs. And second, trying to organize the data we collect around that to make meaningful decisions to help serve our consumers better. So the two things we've put in place, which have helped us really over the last few years is, one is a massive user centricity movement that allows all our associates, that empowers all our associates to hang with consumers and understand their unstated, unmet needs better, to find the problems we could solve for. And on the other hand, creating a massive data lake in which we organize our consumer data, first party data, or consumer cohort data in a manner that then we can leverage to make our offerings, our products, our services, even for more meaningful to the consumers we serve. Ironically, while these systems, the technology, the data, and these methods have been put in place recently, if I go back to the 111-year history of Mars, our founders put together the five principles. The first principle was the principle of quality, which starts with the sentence, the consumer is the boss. So the consumer has always been boss for us. We are now leveraging digital and technology to understand the consumer better. I'm having a chat with uh, Sandeep Dadlani, uh, who is the Chief Digital Officer of Mars Incorporated. Uh, Sandeep, it's great to be reconnected with you. We, we actually met many years ago when you were at Infosys, if I remember. That's right. And Mike, you were one of our uh, keynote speakers, and you inspired and enthralled the audience, <laughs> as always, with, uh, with uh, your ideas of the future, which uh, really, I mean, uh, continue to inspire us all. Yeah. Thank you. It's kind. And it, it, it's really been inspiring uh, to watch you in, in, in this role uh, take the work you were doing for many organizations and really bring it to life uh, with, with digital transformation. And I, I think it's, it's hard to really think about this topic in current times without also thinking about the current pandemic. Uh, it's been said often that COVID-19 has been a catalyst to transformation for many organizations, uh, despite the terrible tragedy and the loss of life and the economic impact. How have things been accelerating at, at your end as a result of the crisis? Well, you're right. I think this uh, pandemic has immersed all of us in a situation unlike anything we have ever seen in the last hundred years. And it's forcing everyone, including Mars, to first work together to solve this global crisis and find new ways of working. For Mars, our associates are at the heart of our decision making. So actually, the approach has been somewhat easy from a prioritization perspective. The first priority has been to ensure the safety and well-being of our associates to protect them against this, uh, the spread of this virus and so on. Now, you know, if you ignore for a second the tremendous 
health uh, and economic <laughs> ramifications, yeah. uh, if you ever can do that. It is true. This crisis has propelled us into a speed of transformation, a speed of going digital faster than, frankly, any chief digital officer could have helped until this point. At Mars, our digital transformation was always labeled 100x, which was akin to speed, going 100 times faster. Um, there were areas where we were making some great successes, some headway areas that were, frankly, were much slower than we would have liked. All that has changed. In the last six weeks, the teams of our associates have come together like no other to identify consumer trends, to identify where our associates can add the most value, to change ways of working from home, working you know, safely, to drive analytics to the next extreme, to drive automation, to drive new direct-to-consumer campaigns, and so on. The examples are many. I feel good that Mars has discovered a new clock speed in this crisis, and we hope that one of the things we take forward, even after this crisis, is that clock speed of Mars, the newly found clock speed. Well, why is speed so important, uh, not, not just for growth, but for survival and resilience in, in this new environment? Well, most large global companies, and Mars is no exception, have over time developed business models and developed a certain clock speed of planning and execution. For example, traditional CPG companies plan with traditional retailers their plan for the year, promotions they'll run, the products and SKUs they will run, and hence the entire year is already set in stone. When you think of times like this, every week brings new learnings. In week one, you had masks, which were perhaps not such a big deal. In week six, masks are everything. In week one, getting your groceries was a different challenge. In week six, online grocery has now become 15% of America. Mm. Um, that number was supposed to be reached five years from now. It just happened mm. only in six weeks. So the reaction time of an organization, the ability of an organization to identify a trend, a niche consumer trend, will not come from consulting books, will not come from analyst books. It will come from actually even more intimately observing consumers, talking to them, figuring out small things like pack sizes. Mike, I now buy larger pack sizes of items than I ever used to. Um, <laughs> That changes your production strategy. That changes your packaging strategy. That changes your procurement strategy. Everything changes. So organizations like ours have to pivot ourselves to identify trends, pick the right business models to execute against those trends, and then probably fail a few times, but where we succeed, scale them very fast. At Mars, we call it a digital engine. Finding the problem, solving the problem, and then scaling the solution as fast as we can. That then becomes the speed of the organization in these times. COVID-19 has just brought it to life. And data and insights are very much connected to your reaction time, right? My data scientists have never been more popular than they have been in the last six weeks. Hmm. Everybody wants to know, first, visibility into operations. Which are the factories that are working today with what production lines? What wet hospitals uh, are working today with, with how many patients in there? How many staff are going to show up to work? What inventory is lying where? Then trying to predict where will the crisis hit next? Which sites of ours will get infected in the next 10 days? 
what consumers are asking for in China now as they recover, and therefore what will they be asking for or searching for in the U.S. when the U.S. recovers? Right. What skews will become more important? All this is enabled by data science, analytics, and, you know, frankly, Mike, the way we were organized for this was we could scale very well, but we were running few areas of change. Now, the number of sprints have just multiplied. My data scientists are now busier than ever before. They're at home. They're working from home, thank God, but they have been busier than ever before. One of the challenges big organizations have is not just getting the data infrastructure together and hiring a data science team. It's the cultural challenge of getting uh, leaders and teams to accept a real data-driven culture, the way they use data to not just make decisions, but to communicate and to come up with ideas. What has Mars done in order to embed data into the way that people interact and communicate? Uh, I'm, look, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I have uh, scars uh, from my consulting <laughs> career where, um, you know, we, we set up large data lakes and massive armies of data scientists in the hope that we will build it and they will come. Right. Um, and they never came. And superstition you still the, persists, right? <laughs> Exactly. Um, so with those cars, when I entered Mars, we were very clear that data scientists, the best they can do is to answer a question. But the more important skill here is asking the right question. And asking the right question, ideally, from the point of view of the end user or the consumer. You see, over the years, in large companies, we are used to sitting down in conference rooms and framing questions to the best of the knowledge of the people in the room. Mm. Now, when we drag the consumers into the room, or at least listen to the consumer carefully, digitally or otherwise, the question changes completely. And this reframed question from the point of view of the consumer perhaps becomes a far more sensible problem or question to ask or to solve for. So at Mars, we've been very intentional First, driving a user centricity movement where so far 15,000 associates have been enrolled and who have embraced it, who now begin every exercise, whether they're in the supply chain, whether they're in brand, whether they're in marketing, whether they're in e-commerce, they begin every exercise by really getting close to the end user or to the consumer and framing the question right. Once they have framed the question right, then the data, analytics, AI, machine learning teams help them answer the question, find the solution. Now, half these sprints fail. They don't find the right solution. Mm. But for the ones that succeed, we then have our automation teams take over and scale the solution. This circle then becomes the digital engine, which we are hoping perhaps becomes even more relevant in, in today's world, because that's how not just the data scientists, but all of business needs to operate. So the digital way then becomes the only way of driving a business. I want to come back to the digital engine in a, in a moment, but you mentioned before that your teams are all now working remotely. So you've really embraced a, a distributed operating model uh, for, for all of your, uh, your teams and leaders. How has data become an important part of the way people now communicate and, and make decisions in that respect? Uh, is is it more important than ever that you have a single source of truth uh, if you're going to delegate authority and operate a, a remote team type structure? Well, I mean, let's take, for example, our supply chain. Uh, our supply chains have never been more critical than during this time. In order to, to get our, the right pet food and the right human food, 
to our consumers where they need it. Um, supply chains are built of wonderful leaders who have known each other, who pat each other on the back, who know how things run because they're in the factories, they watch the trucks, they pick up the phone and, and, and get phone calls from the retailers, they nudge their other friends and workers to push another batch out or to get another production line change. In the last six weeks, all the backslapping effectively has disappeared. And all that our supply chain leaders uh, or our technology leaders uh, have had access to is simply data of where are the factories, where is the inventory, where is the raw material, where are the packaging, and where is the demand and orders that come from. So some of the subjectivity is lost. On the other hand, because everybody is in front of their Microsoft Teams console, the focus is immense. There are few distractions. And so with higher focus, lower subjectivity, and data coming your way, what we are seeing, and I hope this continues, is actually a dramatic jump in productivity and decision-making based on data. That has resulted in higher expectations, new questions that are being asked. Why is the inventory this way? Why couldn't the raw materials in these factories be moved to those factories? Can we drive a higher throughput? And so on and so forth. Frankly, it's a, it's a digital change agent's delight come true. So, so it's not that social interaction is not important. It's just when you're making critical decisions, sometimes it actually distracts you uh, from looking objectively at, uh, at the issue at hand. Is that the point? It is. And, and to add to that, the level of empathy across departments, large organizations are built for silos. Hmm. And silos then creates territories and, and the usual organizational dynamics that go with it. But in these times, Mike, each one, regardless of department, asks each other genuinely and authentically. And they mean it when they say, how are you doing? Because they really want to know how are you doing and how your family is doing. And I, my thesis is that one of the reasons we are seeing higher productivity is not just the data and technology. People are able to absorb the data, trust each other much more because of the high empathy in communications. It's almost like the human brain is overcompensating for the distance, for the safe distance. The human brain wants to get zero distance to each other. They want to care for each other in a crisis because in a crisis, we all come together in one boat. To me, those few things, the speed, the empathy, the trust, the leadership, is facilitating an environment where then data becomes critical. And I hope, I hope we can retain this as we move forward through this crisis and beyond. Aside from the supply chain, for some of your other teams at Mars, have you noticed a similar shift now that people are working remotely and, and, and data is really becoming the language with which they're communicating and, and making decisions? Absolutely. Um, we have more than 2,500 vet hospitals mm. for a vet Holding the pet, touching the pet, cuddling the pet, making sure the pet's taken care of is a very personal, intimate experience. If you would ask a vet, you know, a few months ago, whether telemedicine would be something that will work for pets, I don't think that would be their preferred method. But we are seeing now early signs of, you know, some of the most um, passionate vets also trying a different models, whether it's curbside pickup, telemedicine, and then using the, you know, the data, the metrics, the telemetry, to then start taking important decisions for pets or making sure we create a better world for pets. Mm. 
we are seeing data being used in social listening. Uh, for example, one of the things we run is our Kind International market, where you know Kind bars uh, uh, we we sell and distribute Kind bars in the international markets, and there we are seeing that the association right now what consumers are searching for are nuts, immunity, health, things that have suddenly become even more important in the market. What opportunities does that represent for Kind? All this is coming from social listening, looking at the data out there, and then taking important marketing or you know societal decisions. Right. So I'd say every aspect of our operation, whether it's consumers, it's marketing, it's e-commerce, supply chain, services, has been dramatically impacted. Even IT, even the connectivity on IT, uh, and, and how much uh, of our bandwidth, our networks, our, our VPN networks, et cetera, are being loaded up or not is being actively monitored. Again, a data-driven decision. So yes, it's uh, now percolating to all aspects of the company. Even before the crisis, uh, there were some organizations that created um, quite deliberate templates and uh, methodologies for decision-making. So uh, I'm thinking of Amazon and the way that they banned PowerPoint slides and re you know, required people to write sort of long-form data-driven memos. How, how have things changed at Mars in terms of the way people make decisions? Have you formalized any of this to make sure that people incorporate more data in, in their sprints or in their uh, solutions? I think we have ways to go, to be honest, to get to the data proficiency that perhaps Amazon um, portrays. But in our own little way, what we have done is instead of trying to create a Amazon template or, or some other template, we try to create our own template, mm. and the own template goes back to the digital engine that we uh, talked about. So it is now instilled in most of our working teams that we first frame the problem, find the problem with user centricity, with design thinking, with the end user, with the consumer. We then solve the problem using data, analytics, AI, machine learning. And for the problems that we can solve successfully, in a short sprint, we then scale the solution with automation. We recently did a public launch, and this is public, is of a, of a new product, Snickers Pecan. Uh, we had it out for just a day or two, and it you know, sold out tremendously. But here's a, a problem we were solving for in terms of saying there is an unmet need of consumers who want to associate Snickers with one of their favorite nuts, Pecan. We solved it figuring out how many consumers could then buy Snickers Pecan direct to consumer from our websites. Now we've solved it successfully. So now we'll be looking at how do we scale it further for it to be an ongoing success or perhaps a platform for other products like this to launch. Right. That's a great example of finding the problem, solving the problem, automating it all within a matter of days and weeks, which is very unlike, you know, what a traditional 100-year-plus CPG company would normally go for. I'm really interested in particularly this part around automation. Um, this was something I actually looked at quite closely uh, in my last book, The Algorithmic Leader, because you know traditionally people have seen automation as a threat to what they do. But in a, in a world where you can use automation to scale up solutions, your job really becomes um, looking for the building the platform rather than making the same decision over and over again to infinity. Uh, so. Can you talk a little bit more about scaling up and, and, and I guess the ways that automation is used to, uh, you know, to build higher productivity? 
Well, we went back to our five principles, which are you know several decades old, and we looked at one of the principles called responsibility, and the fact that it is our responsibility to make sure that our associates have meaningful work. Mars cares deeply about its associates. Hmm. There is uh, this sense of responsibility to make sure that associates are not led to menial, repetitive, boring work. So when we launched our enterprise automation hub, the idea was not to make associates redundant. The idea was to actually empower associates, almost give them superpowers so that they could really make a dent, do much more than they dreamt of earlier. And over the last two years, what we have done is we've unlocked about 200 plus robots. And when we say robots, we actually mean digital workers. Essentially, they're programs, they're software. We just like to call them robots because we, you know, amplify things. But these digital workers are helping us free up more than 200,000 hours of associates who then can really focus on finding the next problem. You see, you and I were always meant to find the next problem creatively versus repetitively solving the same problem again and again. We have seen tremendous success First, of course, in the traditional suspects, back office operations, finance, HR, you know, accounting, et cetera. But then increasingly in sales operations, um, last two weeks back, we had to do a full virtual financial close of our books and automation played a massive role in it uh, in a way that we could not even anticipate. One of the areas that now in this crisis is even more effective is automation of our factories. So we have our factories where we have uh, some staff uh, with great precautions and safety driving production lines. We just tried an augmented reality um, program which allows expert staff that are remote to guide uh, staff on the ground for production line changes uh, using augmented reality software or sometimes even just Teams video conferencing software. And that has been a hit. It's being rolled out in 40 plus factories. These are great examples of automation. So if perhaps there are three, four things which are running amok at this time in remote working times. Uh, it is analytics, it is automation, and ironically, it is you know, e-commerce and D2C and things like that, which we are pivoting to you know, very, very hard. Most of us have a vision for our organizations that, especially when it comes to transformation that we thought was gonna take five or 10 years. Uh, but now, obviously, as we've been talking about, it is being accelerated. But when you think about the post-pandemic Mars, what do you think the path to your reinvention is going to be? Like, what do you think you'll be doing in in one or two years' time that you thought might have would have taken much longer in, in terms of your operating model? So I think it's important to highlight what will not change. So I'm clear that you know our decisions will continue to be guided by our five principles. Our ambition to be a much larger products and services company will not change. Our ambition to convert a significant portion of our revenues to a services-based model and that we have shown through a dramatic acquisition of vet hospitals will not change at all. Our ambition to drive more direct-to-consumer, gosh, if at all, it will be accelerated during these times more than ever before. Our ambition to be mostly in categories that are growth categories, you know, like the pet care category, the growth category is not going to change. So these things won't change. Perhaps some of these things will get accelerated. What I am seeing that will definitely change is 
the clock speed of the company, the speed at which we operate on a normal business basis, the way we plan our businesses, identify consumer trends, react to them quickly. The reliance on data and analytics is already going through the roof. I don't see that turning back because these channels have changed forever. And I think the general belief in technology to then drive new business models, new growth models, which is sometimes very difficult from a change management perspective to get you know, into the heads of every associate in the company. I think we just took a big leap there. So in a nutshell, we are aiming, we anticipate a post-pandemic world to be, first of all, an irregular world, a world which is going to have regions recover differently, um, waves of either health outbreaks or perhaps even emotional fallouts or consumer scars that will continue. Supply chains that may have been permanently impacted in some ways. So in that new world, to continue with our ambition, to accelerate our ambition, our reliance on digital, on technology, on speed will have to be much higher. With those things in mind, I think it's honestly, I mean, I'm looking forward to that world uh, because it's a much faster world. It's a 100x world. It's the world that we framed when we started a digital transformation. We called it 100x. It just happened quickly. And I guess just finally, what does that mean for your associates? When you think about the 21st century Mars associate, what's their new cognitive stack need to be? What are the, what are the new skills that they're going to need to thrive in that 100x world? It's, it's ironical. We always framed our slides showing our associates in Iron Man costumes or Wonder Woman costumes. <laughs> we framed our digital armor being one that allows each of our associates to maintain their personalities, their hairstyles, their bad sense of humor, their empathy, their ability to hug each other. Ironically, we're a hugging company. We, we love hugging. We love shaking hands. We love, we love touch. I hope none of that disappears. In fact, I'm sure none of that will disappear. All of that will come back and our associates will be more of themselves when they come back. But with that, I also hope that our associates believe in the digital armor even more, that when they put it on, they can actually become superwomen, supermen, uh, that they can actually drive their initiatives, their projects, their abilities to meet consumer needs much faster, hopefully a hundred times faster than ever before. To me, that would mean an associate that consistently learning new skills. I am amazed at the number of associates who came on to Yammer over the last few days and actually signed on to some of our learning modules or even went out on their own and signed up on Udacity and said, you know, we learn uh, these programming languages in Python. And these are not technology associates, not traditional technology associates. So the ability of this company to keep out learning themselves continues to amaze me. And I hope that continuous learning mindset continues way beyond this crisis. In the end, we are clear and we've defined our learning levels, digital learning levels in, in our toolkits very carefully that at the least, all associates will be enrolled in user centricity. All associates will be enrolled on basic data wrangling techniques using Tableau, Power BI, Alteryx, and so on and so forth all associates will be able to at least drive some level of automation in the task they do. We don't care if it's a warehouse operator in China or a truck driver in the US or a brand manager in France. They all need these three basic skills. Now, some others will need higher skills than that at level two, level three, level four. 
Mars University has helped us define these levels of digital learning to help the entire company go to a digital first business. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com/slash-between-worlds. <laughs>